Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 16 with Jay Judson. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I'm really happy to have Jay Judson with me here today. One of my former guests recommended that I contact Jay, and I think this is going to be a really special treat. Before we get too far into this, I do want to be up front. Jay is using a stage name because some of the ministry he does is in closed countries. I want to be honest with you, but I also don't want to do anything that would get in the way of his ability to enter a country and minister the love of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Now, Jay is really good at jump-starting and multiplying networks of churches among historically Bible-less people groups. And I want to share some of the stats with you because they're astounding. Jay has trained seven people, and while that may not sound groundbreaking, Scripture reminds us that we shouldn't despise the day of small beginnings. Those trainees report that nearly 42,500 people have been baptized in nearly 1,050 house churches across 10 previously unreached people groups. He's also worked with several groups jumpstarting their ministries in Southern Asia. And the strategies that Jay and others use will work in every culture, even in the U.S., Okay, Jay, I've given a little introduction. Now, why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and your ministry. We'd like to get to know you personally. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I'm uh, just humbled to be on your, your podcast, your show, and uh, really excited. My family, I got uh, a wife and two two kids. I just had a little girl two months ago, and um, we've been back in the States for about a year now and still very active in the country of Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. Uh, been there for 12 years, and really, uh, God's just done amazing, incredible things. It's uh, sometimes unbelievable unbelievable by some friends of mine who are doing the same kind of things, same kind of ministry. They just have never had really a training in church planning movements or church multiplication movements or disciple multiplication, as I sometimes call it. Um, I went there 12 years ago. I was uh, focused on uh, two ethnic groups. One was uh, 2.8 million called the Rakhine people, also called Arakanese. And the uh, Rohingya, who were about 1.5 million, who were Muslims. Um, I was there. There were about 50 believers out of those 4.5 million peoples that I was assigned to with the mission agency that I was with called IMB. And uh, I had <laughs> no idea really uh, who I was going to work with. So I went around and tried to talk with all the Christians, these 50 Christians that I met. And none of them, they were all clergy. They were all paid professional pastors, and they all kind of wanted money. 
And one day I was just in my house there all alone because I was there for seven years, single guy. didn't want to go to Asia single, but I was, and just obey God anyway. And God brought this uh, lawyer and a uh, former Air Force major and his buddy who's a farmer to my door who were from the Rakhine ethnic group. And um, when I got to know them, got to meet them and really hear their heart, that one me- that first meeting, I got down on our knees. I, got, I said, can we just get down on our knees and let's just pray? Because I knew these were the guys because they weren't paid professional clergy looking for money. They said, we were from the Rakhine ethnic group. Our people are 2.8 million and we're one of the 50, some of the 50 who are believers. And said so these guys are the guys. So met with them in their house for about six months. We formed a temporary training church and uh, just brought church down to the basic, basic level of just telling a Bible story, asking them to repeat it back and praying and doing the Lord's Supper right there in the guys in the major's office. And um, they just started adding in on, I said, how can we help Buddhist people feel comfortable worshiping Jesus or Buddhist background people feel comfortable worshiping Jesus? And they started adding all these bells and whistles on top of that basic, basic, basic definition of a church, which we were forming in their mind. I sent them back. They saw a breakthrough of uh, within just a few months. They really saw us start to see a multiplication of churches. Um, They told me, in uh, February 2004, they just witnessed 21 families jump into the river to get baptized. And they were just so excited, and it was just starting to everything, the breakthrough, the dream that, you know, I would, was went, went there to see. Within, uh, within two years, I was seeing it happen. I had a couple of false starts, but it was really exciting. Now that's amazing. And I know that you mentioned that you're here in the States right now. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't mind, would you take us back so that we can kind of understand a little bit about what, what life was like for you while you were over in Asia? Um, the country of Burma is one of the, it's the uh, most oppressed country in Asia besides North Korea. It's the poorest country in Southeast Asia. It's the uh, second poorest country in Asia after Afghanistan. The people there are longing for freedom. They're under the control of a totalitarian regime. Uh, that's the ones who changed the country's name to Myanmar uh, from the British colonial name of Burma. And uh, just really just almost like when you walk into the villages, it's almost like suffocatingly poor. It's so poor that a lot of people go through emotional shock who go there on short-term mission trips. So it's just desperately poor. People are so open for hope. They will grab your arm even before I've said anything to them, to these taxi cab drivers. And I'm like, they just will tell me, that I have, we have no hope in our country. And I'm like, would you like to hear about hope? And they're like, yes, tell me now. <laughs> it's just a great place to be. Wow, that is, a, that is amazing. Yeah, and they love Americans, which is unusual. <laughs> that, that is actually unusual. What I understand is that we're not always the most popular people in some countries. And we, you are in the, peop, in the uh, Union of Myanmar. You're definitely popular if you're American. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now that we know a little bit about you and a little bit about what life was like for you while you were over in Myanmar, would yep. you mind sharing with us a, maybe a scripture or a motivational quote that's really been meaningful to you? Well, I was called to be a preacher. I'm a, from a Southern Baptist ethnic group, and I was called to be... <laughs> <laughs> if you know Southern Baptists, we're almost like an ethnic group. I was called to preach the gospel. I even had the hair for it at one time in my life. And I had, you know, I had this tone of a preacher. I could project my voice. And people said, you're a really good preacher. But then I realized I was called to preach in places where there were completely closed countries where the gospel was not yet had gone. And how do you preach like that? So God really spoke to me through John chapter 3, verse 30, where, where John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. 
And if somebody wants to see a breakthrough in a really closed area or a really closed business or people group or gang in uh, South L.A. or wherever, you have to decrease and Jesus and get behind the new believers and immediately you will see a movement happen. And can you bring that down to the ground level for us? Can you share with us maybe one time, one experience, how you did that? I, when I first got there to Myanmar, I, with, uh, like a year later, I was really struggling in prayer and stuff, and I just said, you know, God, I'm going to trust you for, to reach uh, 10% of these 70 villages that were on the Rakhine State map. I counted, just literally counted. I said, if I could just reach 10% of, this, uh, of these villages with the gospel. So I wrote down seven in my prayer journal, wrote that down, pretty much just forgot about it, wrote it and, and gave it to God in faith, and, and a year later, my friend, one of the two guys that I was training, the other the guy, the farmer, he says, he calls me up. He says, we've just got our seventh new church. And uh, I hung the phone up, and I was like, wait a minute, seven new churches? Where, where have I heard that from? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like just blown away when I opened up my prayer journal, and I saw where I had wrote down, God, I want to see seven new churches. I was like, dang, why didn't I see – why didn't I try to write down 700, you know? So <laughs> That's excellent. Now, we know that it's not always easy. Uh, as we get started in our interview, you know, we've known, we know you a little bit, we know a little bit about your journey, but we'd like to hear about a time when you encountered a significant challenge or a failure, maybe a time when your back was up against the wall and you needed a breakthrough, or maybe you, a time when you were praying for somebody else. Take us to that time so we can kind of feel what it was like to be in that place and then paint us a picture of God's faithfulness. Well, right around that time of those four or three, four months between February 2004 and April 2004, we just started seeing this tremendous breakthrough among this Buddhist people group, which Buddhists uh, are not really coming to Christ compared to Muslims and Chinese and Hindus. There's huge harvest among all those other blocks of peoples, the pagans, the former communists, the Catholics, the Orthodox. But there's not that really many breakthroughs among Buddhists or Jews, I've come to discover. There's two remaining giants in global evangelization. It's the Buddhists and the Jews, the Jews and the Boos. And uh, just seeing that breakthrough come about, and bam, counterattack. Immediately I had uh, kidney failures. I got on the airplane, and I, I was in complete uh, renal failure. Two weeks later, laying up in the ICU in Jackson, Tennessee, where I'm from. And um, God just, you know, the, the, I was in dialysis machine for... Uh, two or three months, and they said, you're never going to back, go back overseas again. You shouldn't go to places like Burma. That's why you've gotten sick. And I was just saying, it's the devil. It's Satan. Well, the seven churches, while I was up in the hospital and on the dialysis machine, the seven churches were multiplying to 11 in July. They had multiplied to 11. Uh, the next month or two months later in September, they had multiplied to 30. And they just kept, even though I wasn't there, I wasn't there. And that's the whole point of a church planting movement. But it just is sustainable movement that's led by the Holy Spirit, not led by the outsiders. It's led by the insiders. Jay, you mentioned that there are two people groups that have been kind of historically the hardest to reach, the Buddhists and the Jews. I know that you mentioned that you've reached a number of Buddhist people. Is there something you, that you can share with us that's been kind of the, the key? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just uh, listening to the new believers because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to reveal these keys, these bridges, these evangelistic bridges. Some people would hear that kind of argument and they would say, oh, this is apologetics. No, it's not apologetics really because that's like defending. This is more like apostolics. This is a bridge building. Like The example of that is Acts chapter 17 where Paul is up on the Mount uh, Mars Hill and he sees that you know, he's studying their religion. And he quotes their religion back to him. He's like, you guys are really religious here. So I did that with the major. 
And the major came up with, he's a former lawyer, so he came up with uh, these uh, lawyers' method, which is basically Buddhists are commanded by Buddha. I really like Buddha. He's a really nice guy. To be 100% perfect. So he presents the gospel as a lawyer through the law. And he's like, now Buddha says you do these four things, and you've got to be perfect to get your salvation. Go to Nirvana. Go to the golden city of Nirvana. Mm -hmm. And he just says, basically, he looks at them in their eyes, and he says, how's that working out for you? How's that perfection thing working out for you? So he says, we got to share the bad news before we, they hear the good news, before they're ready to receive the good news. And the bad news is Buddhism. Buddha says you must be 100% perfect. And then Buddha says there's a coming savior. He's the Lord of compassion. In their, in their religion, he's called the Rimetria. Or in Thai, he's the Prasiyan Rimetiai, or something like that. But he's, he's a prophesied uh, Messiah of the world who's coming. And Buddha came uh, six or 500 years before Christ, and so Jesus said, I am the way. I am he. Jay, thank you so much for sharing with us that challenge, and especially the way God was faithful in the middle of your not being there. Yeah. Now we're going to move to the other end of the spectrum, and maybe this is going to be a continuation of something that you've already shared. But just like we all have challenges, there are also those times when God has gives us those moments of revelation, those times when it just seems like the heavens part and He literally imparts a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to us. Can yeah. you share a time in your journey when that happened to you? Uh, I've had many. I've had the greatest one, I think, that really changed my whole paradigm of ministry towards church planting movements thinking was uh, when I was getting trained, I met this guy named Dr. George Patterson. Up, I just did a website with him called JustObeyJesus.com. I met him up in uh, at a Perspectives on the World Christian Movement class. If you get the, the Perspectives book, he's, his article on Spontaneous Multiplication of Churches is in there. He says, come up here and get trained by me. If what I tell you doesn't work to see churches multiply where there's no churches, I'll make sure you get your money back. <laughs> I thought, I'm never going to hear this again. So I went up there. He, first day of class, I'm sitting in his office, just me and him. That's our class. I got seminary credit for it at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And uh, he says, you're going, to start a, you're going to start a church today. And I was like, but George, I don't know anybody here. I'm from Tennessee. This is Oregon. And he said, okay, I'll help you. It's okay. So I got together these other students from the seminary who were going to closed countries like I was trying to go to. I was trying to go to China at that point. And um, I got – and for two months, we had a, a temporary underground training church. And so I had to learn the dynamics of small group dynamics and uh, – and then going back to George and planning for the next the next meeting, and he had he appointed two secret police to try to find the time and the place of one of our meetings. And it wasn't a game, but it was a training exercise with an element of a game. So at the end of the two months, uh, it was discovered that I was the uh, one who told the informant of the secret police, and I was executed with water balloons at ten paces on a cold February day in the middle of uh, the seminary campus there in Portland, Oregon. I learned more by doing that than anything I've ever read. It was life-changing exercise that I had to decrease because you have people trying to find you and they're opposing you. How do you how do you do ministry when people are opposing you? You have to think ahead. Now, Jay, we're going to go ahead and move to the present day. We'd like to hear what's going on in your ministry right now. Maybe something that's really exciting you, or maybe something that you see coming in the near future. Well, we've seen uh, twenty thousand Rohingyas Muslims baptized in the past four months. I'm sorry, did you say 20,000? 20, 20,000 baptized in the past four months, and I, I'm intentionally under-reporting. I'm going to go there in a few weeks and really kind of see what's going on firsthand. But uh, I've trained the people who are spearheading this for the past 12 years. I trust them. Uh, it's not just somebody I've lightly trained, but I've invested a lot of time with these people, and now they're seeing a breakthrough among their neighbors. 
literally their neighbors. And uh, the, the church, the body of Christ is rising up in the midst of an ethnic conflict. And it's just really, really a blessing to be a part of and to see from behind the scenes. We do know that not everybody is called to vocational ministry. And our audience is made up primarily of people who are in the U.S. and operating in the marketplace. They care about missions, but they don't necessarily feel called to world missions. What would you say to someone who's called to the marketplace and is wondering if what they do in business really matters in the kingdom? Well, i got to tell you about my friend Luis Sanchez up there in, uh, in Washington State, in the uh, three Tri-Cities area in southeast Washington State. We started to train him. And uh, he was kind of already on this wavelength of I got to you know I got to be like a missionary on my job. He's got a construction business there in uh, Washington State. I was training him through Skype, and he started to baptize people in the front end loader of his backhoe on the job. And he was helping people embrace the Great Commission right there and obey Jesus right where they're at. And he was <laughs> it's an incredible picture I've got that he took of that. And uh, it's really exciting to see his vision to see a CPM happen in Washington State where so few people. Uh, really know Jesus in a, in a personal relationship. And can you tell us what a CPM is? Church planting movement, uh, church multiplication, disciple multiplication movement, whatever you call it, it is a move of God. It's a spiritual awakening, not like a revival, but it's just a, where where people were, had no idea who Jesus was, and they embrace him quickly. And I think I he- what I hear you saying is that sometimes the marketplace is our mission field. Absolutely. People must look, look at their, their, minister, their uh, business as a ministry. Okay, that's good. Now, I'm also sure that there are some people listening who are already supporting a missionary, either financially or in prayer, maybe both, but they'd like to do more. If they really wanted to level up their game, what's one thing they could do to encourage or support a missionary? Um, I've thought this a lot. Uh, a lot of people just need to support the missionaries that they know personally instead of sending it to big mission agencies or big organizations. Um, that's the best way. And uh, I've learned something from my friend out in, out in Oregon. is Dr. G- uh, Gene Davis. He's a veterinarian. He started a foundation called Farm Mission Foundation. And he told me how that works is that uh, a foundation that acts like that, it's you, you give your money to them. And they will invest it in stock market or land or whatever's making money. So that you give $1,000, they're going to generate $3,000 with your full knowledge and intention off of your $1,000. They're going to turn it and triple it. And then they give it out to places like Dr. Victor Chowdhury in India where we're seeing millions come to Christ through house church movements or disciple multiplication movements. Okay. Or me. Uh, one that you can do that through in Atlanta is called National Christian Foundation, and that way you can direct it. The donor directs where that money goes. Okay, and it, they have a website, so I could link that up in the show yeah, notes? National Christian Foundation is the largest one in the, the country, and uh, Dr. Gene Davis out there in Oregon is a Farm Mission Foundation. Michael Jackson's his right-hand man. Those guys, they would generate your donation to become greater, and you would make a greater impact. It's smart. That's good. We're going to go a little bit lighter now. We're going to head into the speed round where I get to ask you a series of questions and you come back at us with your amazing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Wonderful. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, one, of the, one of the best advices I received was that I must decrease and Jesus must increase through other leaders who were multiplying, who were actively involved in the Great Commission. And, that, that's, and those people are the ones who've got jobs, got regular jobs, lawyers, uh, teachers, farmers, fishermen. These are the people who go out and multiply churches. Pastors can, usually they don't, 
they are permission givers and God's using them, but we want to train those people out in the business world and the professionals to become pastors. Okay. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to the success you've seen so far? Uh, I get on people's turf who are far from God. I ask them, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, go find a person of peace. And so what I've been doing the past few years, I've just been asking people who I sense that God's already working in their hearts, like Cornelius in the book of Acts and Luke and Acts chapter 10. And I say, are you the person of peace that Jesus told me to look for? And a lot of them looked at me and they said, yes, I am. <laughs> and get on their turf and have Bible studies through Bible stories on their turf. That's very key. Now, do you have an internet resource that you use and could share with our listeners? Uh, JustObeyJesus.com. The reason why I say just is because we got so many traditions, evangelicals, charismatics, every denomination has so many traditions that actually stop and hinder spontaneous multiplication of churches. Okay. And what book would you recommend for our listeners? Uh, Dr. George Patterson, Church Multiplication Guide. Now, we're going to go a little bit deeper for the last few questions, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about perspective and maybe some ministry advice. So this is our chance to learn from your experiences. Okay. It seems like people from all over the world are moving to the U.S. It's not uncommon to have a neighbor or a coworker who's from a nation that historically we would have considered missionary territory. Do you think God is behind this, and what's your perspective? Yeah, if we don't obey the Great Commission, God's going to bring the Great Commission to us and take away all of our jobs <laughs> <laughs> or pull us over into another country as slaves. He does that throughout history, and, um, and it's just a pattern. You can read that about that in the Perspectives Guide, and, um, and that is exactly what he's doing. And we have to think like missionaries throughout these peoples who are coming into Nashville metro area where it's like 30% are from all these other countries around the world, the largest Kurdish populations right there in the middle, middle Tennessee. And I have friends there who are trying to jumpstart CPMs and are starting to see about 30 groups going right, right now among them, among different ethnic groups there in the Nashville area. I'm really excited to ask you in particular this next question. What would you tell someone who wants to advance the kingdom of God by discipling and ministering the love of Christ to a neighbor or co-worker whose heritage is from a different culture, what's one thing they can do to get started? Uh, just start practicing telling the story of the prodigal son to your wife or your family, and then go uh, over and share that story with your, your that person who's the neighbor. Tell them the story. Don't ask them, can I tell you a story? Just tell them the story and get on their turf at their invitation, if they put food down in front of you, they are the person of peace, usually. And Jesus said that. That's the sign. And get on their turf and tell the Bible stories and ask them if they really like that story, who are they going to ask them? Who are they going to share that story with? I like it. Multiplication. Now, I've got one last question for you. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new country. It's your first day of ministry in a new country, and you don't know anybody. You still have your experience and your knowledge, and your family's there with you. Your food and shelter are covered, but all you have is a laptop and $500 U.S. What do you do for the next seven days? After my family's kind of settled in a little bit, uh, or while my family's settling in a little bit, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be—my my spiritual antennas are going to be up, like, maximum level, looking for persons of peace who Jesus is already talking to. I don't have to argue them into the kingdom. Jesus is already talking to Zacchaeus. He's up in the tree looking for truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And Jesus saw him up in that tree. And Jesus says, I go where I see my father going. And I say what I see of my father, hear my father saying. And so he went up to Zacchaeus. He's up in that tree. He said, I'm coming to your house. And everybody, those church people all around them were like, he's going to that guy's house. That guy's the bad guy. 
God was already working in Cornelius. He was already working in Lydia. He's already prepared the soil. The harvest is great. There are multitudes of persons of peace who are ready and responsive to the gospel right now, but we, we need to find them, get on their turf, have Bible studies in their homes, keep the house churches in their homes, and let it multiply. It will multiply if we do that. For our listeners, I know that in the past we've talked a little bit about the person of peace. Uh, if you remember, Sean Steckbeck actually shared a little bit about that. Uh, Jay? Can you share with us a little bit about the person of peace model and how you recognize and begin to minister to that person of peace? Uh, I met uh, a guy who was the leader of a mosque. His name was uh, Anwar, and he was he was uh, he'd heard the gospel through the people that I had trained up, and Sister uh, Mimi was sharing the gospel with him a little bit. And he came over to the school and met me and my friend the major. And he had a Bible in his hand that my, Mimi had given him. And I just looked at him. I said, are you the person of peace? And he says, yes, I am. Uh, today he has 35 house churches going two years later. He's gotten beat up five times. He's lost his job. He's lost everything. He's been beaten for the, for the sake of Christ. And he's multiplying. Um, and it's really exciting to see uh, people who are very responsive. You just trust the Holy Spirit should be a mantra that we chant to ourselves. A lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit, but they don't trust the Holy Spirit in the, lo- in the hearts of, of seekers or new believers. A seeker can go out and start a Bible study. He doesn't become the leader of the Bible study. He's a facil- facilitator of the Bible study. He just asks questions and tells a Bible story. It's not complicated. It's really, really, really easy, and he made it that way. But so many people put so, put so many goofy barriers on top of the gospel, and that's what stops it disobedience to the Great Commission. Jay, we're almost done. Can you share with us one last piece of advice and the best way for us to get in touch with you? Then we'll say goodbye. Uh, You can get in touch with me through my website or BBBCPM. That's Buddhist Background Believers Church Planning Movement. That's what it stands for. And uh, just email me, call me. A lot of times I'm just bored. I just want to have people to talk to when I'm here in America because things aren't really moving here like they are in Asia. And uh, I really would like to help a lot of people to see these breakthroughs among their workplace or their where they're ministering at and to see, because it is happen, now happening in America. There are church planning movements happening in America. They're not popular. Nobody knows anything about them except the people who are really cool, like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how cool I am, but I appreciate yeah. your perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Jay, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time and your generosity. Thank, thank you, Brian. That's the end of our time with Jay Judson. I'm very thankful that he was able to be with us today. I think he shared some amazing resources and stories, and I really hope that you've been encouraged by what he shared. If what he shared connected with you and you're interested in learning more about what he does, I definitely recommend that you contact him. I know that he's a trainer, and I know that he would love to share what God has already given him. And if you're interested in church multiplication, he might be the person that you're supposed to talk with. You can find his contact information, as well as all of the resources that we shared, and the complete show notes at engagingmissions.com slash jjudson or slash 16. Now, I do want to mention that if you are supporting a missionary, but you're looking for a way to level it up, one of the things you can do, especially if they're raising funds, is to give them a copy of Darius Walker's Be a Fully Funded Missionary. It's a complete guide to how to raise funds while you're itinerating. It may not be the right gift for every missionary, but it might be the right gift for the missionary that you're supporting right now. You can find more information about that at engagingmissions.com slash BFFM.
Now, I would love to hear from you. I know that you hear me every week, but I'd love to hear from you. You can send me any feedback, questions, comments, or just drop me a note to say hi at feedback at engagingmissions.com. And also, a review in iTunes would be really meaningful. Those reviews really help raise the rankings of this show to give the missionaries the exposure we'd love for them to have to find and connect with new people, to share what God has given them, and to expand the kingdom for God's glory. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com iTunes. And finally, I just want to say thanks for being here. Whether you've been here from the beginning or this is the first time you've joined us, thanks so much. It really means a lot to us that you're here. This has been the Engaging Missions radio show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.